This episode is brought to you by Source Point Press, the finest independent comic books in the land. If you go to Source Point Press right now, there is an exclusive offer, a starter bundle featuring some of our classic titles, including Torso Bear, SourcePointPress.com. Also, if you go to your local comic shop right now, you can get yourself one of our 11 titles available through previews this month, including titles like The Rejected, Ogres, and Cirrus. SourcePointPress.com An elegant weapon for a more civilized age. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to An Elegant Weapon, episode 359. My name is Jay, J.M. Clark, Jay the Jedi Ross, a Ross Jedi Jay, and as always, it is so wonderful to have all you beautiful babies back here with me in the Smoking Pod studio. How are y'all doing? Um, the gremlins, they got in the cogs again, kids. I sat down for a conversation last week with writer Jason Douglas of the brand new book Parallel coming from Source Point Press. We had a wonderful conversation for about an hour or so. When I listened back to that conversation, the podcaster's nightmare had occurred and the file was corrupted. We therefore had to record again. We did. We had a wonderful time. Thought things were okay, but then partway through the conversation, things became corrupted again. Jason doesn't know about this. I haven't told him about the second time because it wasn't quite so bad. Uh, the good thing is when I record a Skype interview through the Skype recorder, it records in two separate tracks. So his end of the conversation was absolutely fine. My side of the conversation, for some reason that I still have yet to discover, because we did both of these conversations on two separate laptops, I know that means it might have been the mic or this or that, I've tested everything, I cannot figure out what happened, we just got to give this one to the pod gods, Um, so what I was able to do was cut down my side of the conversation, so things at certain moments may sound a little weird and a little bit choppy, uh, because there's a whole bunch of my stuff kind of missing uh out of there but uh you know i tend to blab on anyways so it kind of might have made for a more concise interview than you're used to hearing me give uh but either way every word recorded on jason douglas's end uh is in this podcast uh There's just a few things that I had to fix up to clean this up because I was in no way, shape, or form going to ask Jason to do this a third time. Um, At least have the same conversation. I hope to have Jason back again another time uh, to delve into some of the Star Wars conversation that I unfortunately had to splice out of this um, because I really wanted to retain all the comic book conversation uh, as we discuss his upcoming book, Parallel, uh, with artist Adam Ferris, letterer Justin Birch, uh, and editor Bab Sally. Uh, we talk about all that stuff. Uh, either way, this turned out to be a really fun conversation. Um, and again, his entire side of the conversation is there. And I think I did a pretty good job splicing things up. You know, I've learned to, to cut uh, here and there over the years. Um, so, you know, you may not notice tons, but uh, you may notice a little. So either way, I do apologize to Jason. I apologize to you, the fine people. But either way, it turned out to be a fine enough conversation that I am happy and proud to post it. 
Um, I got to figure out what's going on. Uh, we're probably going to have to have some in-house conversations over the next couple of weeks, even though I'm actually going to be uh, starting the big February tour. Next week, I'm going to be in Michigan at Astronomicon 3 for an elegant weapon. Uh, the week after that, I'm heading out to Fan Expo Vancouver to represent SourcePoint Press. Uh, then we got a week off, and then the week after that is C2E2. Um, so I know the H6 is working fine, which means we're going to have plenty of on-the-spot conversations conversation throughout these adventures uh but just the skype the skype's giving me some troubles lately we may have to explore ulterior uh methods i don't know uh it's always been so good to me eight years haven't had really much of a skype problem at all have to see what's going on kids have to sort that out but either way for now please go to your local comic shops get them to uh order all the source point press they can uh parallel coming from jason douglas and adam ferris it's feb 20 1983 that's the preview code all you gotta do is go into your local comic shop say order that comic and they'll bring it to you um, other than that, lots of other cool titles coming as well. Uh, but for now, kids, please enjoy my conversation with Mr. Jason Douglas. Okay, kids, we're going to try this again. I am here with uh, Jason Douglas. Um, as you heard in the intro that I just previously stated, Jason Douglas is a writer out of Michigan. And we had a conversation the other day. We sat and we enjoyed wonderful talk for about an hour or so. And guess what? It happened. Uh, the pod gremlins got in the way. The recording was compromised. And uh, it was unusable, unfortunately. So that one goes down as just Jason and I getting to have a fantastic conversation that was shared unto ourselves. Hopefully we got everything hooked up on the right hookups. And uh, we can continue our conversation or rehash our conversation with a few new things that we thought of we didn't get to before. Uh, we can toss on in there. Jason, you are a school teacher. Yeah. So, yeah, that's, uh, that's you know, my day job, which is something that a lot of people say in the indie comic world, right? That's my day job, and that's what I started at. And uh, I got to this in a fairly roundabout way. Um, it's a lifelong dream to make comics, right? I was a fan like a lot of us were as a little kid. I did that thing. I don't think I talked to, to you about this the other day. Uh, I did that thing in like mid-late teenage years where I took uh, like nine years off, you know, and stepped away and and then came back really strong, uh, uh, kind of like in my mid-20s. But um, I was already teaching yep. by then and I found, <sighs> I found comics as a writer – just something I always wanted to do, something I always dreamed about, as I said, but in a, in a kind of a, a very uh, circular route. It came to me first through playwriting, which was never a dream, but came to me through happenstance just from teaching elementary school first and then middle school next. And uh, I kind of found um, an acting bug at the very end of college, did a bunch of community theater plays uh, here in southeast Michigan in my first couple years teaching. And kind of fell in love with the stage fairly late for that kind of thing. It wasn't my um, it wasn't my high school gig. I was a swimmer, and so I came to that a little bit late. And then when I transitioned out of like being on the stage myself, um, I started writing for kids. I started this drama club at my elementary school, which was literally the first one our our school district ever had, and started writing sketches and started writing plays. 
and we would put them now, on. We talked about this yeah. before as far as the fact that there was no – there was nothing institutionalized in the way of drama and such. And you happen to be in what used to be a high school, nice uh, stage, I believe. What was the reason? Was it a funding thing? I or? think I think you had your high school drama club, and they did their two shows a year, and they were well-established and did a nice job, a musical and a play every single year – or three, actually, every single year – and one student run, and it just wasn't something that was done at the middle school. One, you know, some of the middle schools didn't have the facilities, and then it was like a big job. And, and you and I talked about this Sunday when I was writing plays and we were putting on shows uh, at the middle school I teach at now. It ended up being pretty much like a ten and a half, eleven month of the year job, where I would write a show, like an you know hour long one act. I'd write it over the summer. You're in pre production at the end of the summer. You're kind of running the club in the fall, um, auditions, and then rehearsals all winter into the spring, putting on the show, take a month, month and a half off and start the process over again. So I think part of that was, I don't know that anybody wanted to do it. And then at the elementary school, which is where I came from before that, I don't know that anybody had thought to do it. So I started writing these plays at the elementary school level. And like I said, at the middle school level next. And I got lucky. So one of them, the first one I wrote for middle school called Bully's Ballad, which is a, a take on Dickens' Christmas Carol, um, but for a middle school audience, it got picked up. It got bought by one of the big four publishing companies called uh, Hewer Publishing. Been around like, you know, one of those early 20th century things. And, um, right. and they bought it and they put it out there. And, you know, it goes out to all these schools and all these community theaters. And I kind of sat out there for a year and I was like, oh, that's a great honor. And I'm in the catalog and there's my name and how wonderful. And then about a year later, I kind of like given up on it. Right. I think somebody bought one of one of the playbooks, you know, you buy, you know, those little, they're kind of like little, uh, uh, little mini books that the, the, the plays in and somebody had bought it. And, sure, and I get my, yeah. I get my very first royalty check in the history of anything. And it's for like $2 and 19 cents. <laughs> and I'm like, you know, I'm not cashing this, you know, I'll do one of those ironic framings or something. <laughs> right. And I kind of right, right. let it go. It was a great thing. It was cool. And and then like a year later, I'm dropping my kid off uh, at, at our high school for swim practice um, and for, for his club team. And a bunch of kids that were in the play literally two years before come running up to me. And they're like, have you seen? Have you seen? And there's this website that some professional photographer took pictures on. And it's like, it's like our show. It's our costumes. It's our sets but it's not our kids. And I'm like, what is this? And, and, and we like follow the trail and I go back on like the author portal on, on, uh, on Hewer's website. And like the show had right. been performed in California and Indiana and Michigan, like South Dakota of all places. And, um, and it was just, it was just really, really cool. And, and that was, it was really nice. But, and, and as much as I love it, and I still run the drama club today and I give uh, I give middle schoolers now a chance to kind of write their own stuff and put it on. Um, it, it was never the primary dream. Right. And but 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 it opened a door. It, it it kicked open something and it allowed me to take this risk that as a young comic fan. Right. And even as somebody who is doing this other thing that kind of runs, you, you know, tangential, maybe even a little bit parallel to it. It's like, well. Could I could I try to write a comic script? I mean, I don't know how, but could I try it? 
and then I did. And, and that's how I, that's how kind of I got here. It was like through this alley that connected that alley. Uh, it ends up at the dream that was always the dream, but not a direct route. Well, it's cool, though, that you at least could throw yourself into trying something Oh, yeah, something for sure. New. You know, what am I going to do? Teach summer school? Screw that. Let's make a comic book. I mean, it sounds like a much better decision uh, to me. Yeah, <laughs> absolutely. I mean, like, literally my, my summer, uh, you know, sitting down to write, I, I wrote the first half of Parallel this one summer when it was, um, it's like, uh, I think we, we talked about it last time, like the audacity of doing something um, that could be scary, that could be intimidating. And don't get me wrong, it was. But but doing this thing, taking this leap because you don't necessarily know better, I, I didn't have – nobody told me how hard it was going to be. Nobody told me or I didn't have any you know frame of reference for knowing that I shouldn't be able to do it. Maybe. I don't know. And, and so I just did it and um, you know, through, through hard work and probably a little bit of luck. I, you know, I, I, I'm here now, which is, which is kind of amazing to me. So you, you take the time off, you write up this script, you've got this great idea, and you figure, I'm just going to go for it. Being in Michigan, you hit Motor City Comic Con, and there's the Red Viking, uh -huh. Mr. Travis McIntyre, and you just decide, I'm going to take this big yellow manila envelope with a script in it. Well, it's the same thing again. I, I didn't know better, and I remember I, I, I wrote <laughs> – I wrote like the first half. I wrote like the first 32 pages. And in my mind, I'm thinking, okay, this is issue one or, or issue one and a half of this, this story. And, and uh, I start looking at online submissions and it's daunting. It's not very welcoming. You know, most companies, they don't want to hear from you full stop. Uh, there's companies out there that um, certainly do not want unsolicited scripts and at best, they might take a, a proposal, a synopsis, if you've got six or eight pages of art, which I don't have because that's not what I do. And instead of giving up, instead of letting that get me down, uh, you know, Motor City Comic Con's right around the corner. And I decide to very archaically, as you mentioned, I grab one of those yellow manila file folders from school that you remember teachers having their files in. I put the script in there. There's color paper clips involved. There's a typed up, you know, cover letter. And I go like, it's like, I, I don't know, like I'm like submitting in the seventies and I walk into the comic con. I've got this short little list of, of names that I read on the website that suggested to me as either a publisher or somebody who might be self publishing their own stuff. And I'm walking around and at the top of my list, and literally the first booth I run into is is the always wonderfully decorated SourcePoint press booth. And this is a few years ago. And again, not knowing anything, I walk up to the first person I see, the first person who makes eye contact with me, and it is the beautifully bearded, wet, you know, um, uh, best smile, most awkward smile in all selfie pictures of all time, the Red Viking, as you call him. Travis McIntyre, and he he literally says, "I like the cut of your jib. Uh, you look like you've got hustle." Because I hand him this this ridiculous package, you know, out of a out of right. a, you know out of a time warp, and he's like, "Okay, I like your pitch. This is interesting to me. I'm going to read it tonight. You come back and see me tomorrow, and we are going to talk further." And and again, not knowing better, just stepping into it and taking that that risk without even knowing it was necessarily a risk 
And again, that's what gets me here today. It's a beautiful way to go about it, especially with SourcePoint. They are grinders, all the creators, you know. Uh, like I said before, it's got that beautiful uh, punk rock sub-pop vibe to it, you know. It's a family of movers and shakers. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. I mean, they are, as a company, they are so impressive in so many ways. And, um, you know, while, while I'm, I'm trying to get used to, the say, uh, to, to saying we – because I'm part of that family now, you know, looking at it over the last bit of time, uh, a bit more from the outside, I was always so impressed by, like you say, the hustle, because like they, they made their bones, not as uh, a publisher and preview, but as people who worked and worked and worked those cons, and made those connections, came to you and, you know, you guys hooked up in Canada. I mean, it's just so impressive how they have built it. It, start, it started before SourcePoint. It started with the Michigan right. Comics right. Collective. And Travis being involved was just something that made him, you know, more aware of a bigger part of the community. And him and Josh Werner, they were wanting to get their books out. And SourcePoint became the banner from that. And grew David Hayes with the Rot and Rotten Tail, Casey Pierce, who I know you did not want to forget to mention. Right, that's right. Well, Casey is. <laughs> what the hell did she no, do now? Casey is <laughs> Casey is literally like like she acting as my den mother. She's holding my hand when I need it. She's talking me off ledges. Actually, there's a few people who are doing that, but um, she wrote the forward to parallel. And she did write the forward. And, right. and, and I really want <laughs> I, I really cannot wait, you know, for as much effort as as Adam Ferris and I uh, put in on the art and or uh, on the art and the writing. And as much as, you know, Bob Sally's fingerprints are all over it as editor and uh, and, you know, um, and Justin Birch did. A, we a won't hold job that against the book on up. the letter. It's like on the lettering, <laughs> like Casey wrote this forward that. Uh, I read it for the first time. She sent it over to me. She said, you know, take a look at this. And like my jaw hits the floor and I'm like, I, this is, it's amazing. It's powerful. It's very Casey. And, and those of you who have read her know exactly what I mean. And um, it's like this ridiculous honor to have her as one of the people kind of guiding me as very much a newbie in this. And, and then a complete honor for me that that she was willing to put um, such deep and powerful and really meaningful thoughts um, in front of my book. She is that. She has really, you know, come into her own. She's been there. She's been through it, and she knows what it's like. And, uh, you know, she's also good friends with Travis, but she's just got the kindest heart, and she's just so full of joy and positive energy that you know it's it's an absolute blessing to have her in your corner whoever you may be yeah i couldn't agree more and you mentioned mr ferris who <laughs> i met at new york city comic-con as he was uh charging forth with his uh what do you call it i mean you're gonna yeah you're gonna call it an anthology you've got yeah yes it's an anthology but there's this guiding uh, you know, unity through it. The good fight was a bunch of stories 
basically about social justice and yeah amazing creators that adam brought together and we were talking about that as he was pushing that at the time so having travis suggest that you work with this individual not only you know does he connect you with someone incredibly talented who can you know bring the art to life but also who is patient someone who is a very very cool kind dude in yeah, his absolutely. own right we say all these names and we're saying I, no matter how many of them we go through, there's this one connecting uh, a principle. There's this one similarity that they're all sharing, at least through my experience. And it is this, this warmth, this patience, this understanding, uh, this willing to, to take time and effort to help somebody else for no other reason than they believe in this family, this community, right? And these these are not yeah, yeah. these are not people who have lost their edge. These are still people who will who write stuff and draw stuff that will blow your head off. And yet, and yet, when you need them, right? Uh, when maybe you don't even know you need them, they are absolutely there for you. J Justin, uh, just just out of the blue, was like, so this is truly your first time going through this process. I'm like, yeah, I don't know anything. I, I, I think I'm, I've got to be getting on people's nerves all the time. Like every email to Josh or Travis or Bob literally starts with, I fully apologize for all the questions I'm about to ask you, but I'm an idiot. Well, that's R the first thing. Yeah. Stop, dude. And, and, <laughs> and, uh, and Justin goes, so like, you don't know anything about the letter and stuff. Do you want to watch me do some? I'm like, I am totally in. And so, like, we do a call, and he, he flips the screen, and I literally got to watch him letter two of my pages, and and I'm like, That's and I'm awesome. like, I probably get on his nerves because I'm like, oh, oh, how did you know how to do that perfect little twist and angle on the on the tail of the word balloon and, and make it go just so? And and I was like making him think about things that he kind of just did by gut, by instinct, but it was just, it was, you know, it was fascinating, sure. and 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 he offered it, you know. And I didn't even know that it was something I wanted until he showed it to me. I'm like, that was amazing. Man, if you're part of the family, you are literally that. You're part of the family. You know, and I'm not going to sit here and just lick his balls for a bunch. But I, I do think it trickles down from this confidence that he mm -hmm. has that we are going to succeed. There's no doubt in it. He's got a good business sense. Humble. He's willing to admit his mistakes and just roll with them. You know, like I've seen him annoyed, I've seen him upset, I've seen him pissed off, but I've never seen him defeated. You know yeah. what I mean? I've never seen him once question source points trajectory so well, it's 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 all trickled down from his mad well, genius. It's, it's funny because <laughs> you know yeah. independent. It, as well as his relentlessness. Yeah, oh Sorry, God, I, I don't yes. want to not give credit where credit is due, because you know, Josh is a fucking warrior. He's seen the shit. And he pours it all into this every fucking bit of you know blood, sweat, and tears. Uh, yeah, I've been work. I've been working pretty close with Josh in the last month or so, and it, it is like there's a relentlessness. There's an energy. That even as yeah. even as a dude who, who for the last couple of decades has had to stand up in front of, in this case, 180 young teenagers, in the old case, uh, 30 uh, uh, 10 year olds, um, which is pretty daunting, and intimidating to a lot of people. Like, I don't know where this man gets his energy from. And um, 
he's got it together and he has been a champion for me the last, you know, a couple of months. It's been amazing. I, I am, I'm in awe of all these people, but like Josh has like blown me away recently. I cannot say enough nice stuff about him. He's amazing. Put a couple of them ginger fuckers together and you're going to get some hardcore <laughs> shit come pouring out of there. You know, like, I don't know. I don't know enough about, the inner workings of how the business of the industry works to speak on this expertly. But I got involved. I got hooked up with source point at a pretty interesting time. I mean, independent comics take a long time to produce. It's a slow process, right? I mean, you, the consumer sees a book on a monthly basis on the shelves. It's very different about how long it takes to bring it together. So, so like parallel has been in the works for a long time. And I got there when when SourcePoint is is still very much uh, early on in that rise, right? Like we we weren't even in um, previews yet, and now it's eleven books right. a month, right? It's amazing, yeah. and yeah. and to yeah. see that in in an industry <laughs> that today that in so many ways feels like it's contracting out of inevitable necessity, you've got this family that's growing. And and doing really really good stuff. Like I mean, you look at look at the the the, the issue of previews that is coming out for February. You know, like soliciting for April. Like like SourcePoint is crushing it. You know, I mean, like so. Besides besides Parallel being in there, I mean, they you've got you've got you know Josh putting out another classic pulp, the Ellery Queen books coming out, and Hank Steiner number one's coming out, and Skyline number one's coming out. It's like I, I do It's so amazing as you see numbers shrink for other companies, as you see a contraction, this this weird kind of sense of doom that like the old school put a, a physical copy of a comic in your hand that so many of us grew up loving that source points going the other direction and they're doing it right, you know, and they're and they're doing it out of out of passion and love well, and it's working. The main thing is that it's it's for the creators by yeah. the creators, right? It, and nobody wants to let go of their stuff. And SourcePoint encourages that. Let's not sit here just you know singing the praises of all, all these wonderful creators. We should bring it back to reality for a minute and uh, talk about something not quite eloquent. Okay. So let me ask you a bit about what it's like to work with Bob. Oh, here um, we go. <laughs> I kid Bob. Bob, you know I love you, Bob. Bob, you're beautiful. Uh Bob was on the show recently and we were talking about oh my god, we were talking about broken gargoyles. Wait till you see this, kids, and holy shit. It's a game It's really changer. good, isn't it? It really it's is. Really good. Oh man, I I'm really stoked for everybody to see broken gargoyles. Um but during that episode we had a big long chat stressing the importance of the editor uh, and discussing the role of the editor um, as working with Drina Joe on Broken Gargoyles. Um, uh, what's it like to work with Bob Sally as a fucking editor? I mean, Bob Sally saved my butt so many times. He, um, I, you've heard, you know, the cliche about how like, uh, like an actor, a really good actor becomes a director and it works really well and everybody else respects him for it. I think he's one of these guys who's so talented as a writer himself that there is no way 
that that experience and that talent isn't one of the major factors that's turned him into a hell of an editor. And, um, you know, I'll be honest, like, like, again, this is me coming from that situation of not knowing better. I think I told you this last time, but when, when my play got bought, um, that's not the way play publishing works with these old companies. They, they buy your script as is the only reason they pick it up. The reason why they grab so few each year and it's so hard to get like, like a play published is because they're only grabbing it. If it's exactly what they want in that moment, there's no editor involved. There's nobody saying change this, change that it's already been performed and that's what they want. And obviously that's not, that's not the same here. And so this was literally my very first time with an editor and I did that thing that way too many writers, way too many creators do. And I got that, that first set of notes come in from Bob and I got super precious and I got my hackles up and I was like, how dare he? And then of course you give it a few minutes, you let Bob say a stern word to you or two. And he was right about all of it. And you know, some of it came out of my ignorance, but a lot of it came out of, look, this is a dude who knows his stuff way better than I do and cutting this line or condensing this or just moving this one panel here or good God, you need an establishing shot here. What is wrong with you? Why haven't you done that? Um, it made my book a lot better. Uh, I love working with Bob. I think he's brilliant. Um, uh, like you said, he's, he's become this heck of an editor, not just a great writer. And, uh, this book is not, is not nearly as good as it, it might just be without his fingerprints all over it, for sure. Give a give the people the spiel. What is uh, what is parallel about exactly? Uh, parallel is the story that I think and I hope a lot of people are going to be able to relate to. It's dark. Um, it's really dark in spots, but it's it's the story that I think a lot of us have where. We make decisions in our life, and a lot of times those decisions, in the case of Landon, our main character, they kind of happen in that that little golden moment when you're deciding who you might just be as an adult, you know, 18, 22, 23, somewhere in that range. And you make these decisions that a lot of times are for comfort, are for uh, sustainability, are for just getting to the next day. And unfortunately, what a lot of us do is we let go of some of our dreams. And Landon did just that. Um, and then he does that thing that happens to so many people where a blink of an eye goes by and suddenly you're pushing 30 and you have this quarter life crisis where, you know, what the hell just happened? Uh, I don't want to say we delude ourselves, but we have this idea when we're young that 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 forever is going to happen and there's always more time. And then, and then as you know, as you age, time just keeps on speeding up and you wake up and like, you've left your dreams so far behind and you're just stuck. And Landon is stuck. The book is about Landon waking up and being stuck in a life that is depressing and there's drudgery and, uh, and his marriage is pretty much loveless and he's drifted apart from his wife and all those decisions he made have led him nowhere and his dreams are gone. And then the sci-fi twist, the part that's going to hopefully keep you uh, turning the pages and scratching your head and wondering what's real and what isn't, is I imagine this world where that quarter-life crisis that so many of us and so many young people go through, 
what if there's this other version of you, this parallel version of you that lived out your dreams? And what if that parallel version of you reaches out and makes you an offer that you can have that life that you thought you screwed up and left behind? Regrets out the window, if only you just. And that only you just might be something you need to do. And that thing you need to do might just not be in your best interest mentally and definitely not physically in the here and now. Very Twilight zony vibe, mm-hmm. as I said mm-hmm. before. Um, uh, thing I th- really like about your writing is the the clarity. Oh, thank it. you. It was very concise yet very natural. As much as you were writing about kind of an ex- existential like subject, you you weren't. You weren't writing with existential style. Does no, I sense? hear you, and 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 I think you and I talked about this last time. Like I, I, I've read a lot of comic books, and I knew I knew that what I wasn't going to do was reproduce like a a nineteen fifties EC horror comic where literally you're not seeing the Wally Wood art because there is. 700 words in each panel uh, repeating the the narration and then the dialogue says the same thing the next moment. Um, you know, I'm not doing that thing that Stanley used to do to Jack Kirby, which is the same thing where you have you had Reed and Sue in the 60s. The narration box kicks in and then they just repeat the same thing. And maybe Jack Kirby's art is in there somewhere. So, I mean, I knew to avoid that. But but you're right. I mean, Bob helped me with that a little bit. The idea of show more and, and, and tell a little bit less. But I'll tell you who the key to that was um, for parallel you know, from page one to, to page 64 uh, was Adam Ferris, the artist. Um, absolutely. And, 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 and his style is perfect for this. It's mood. You know what I mean? He sets a he sets an absolute mood. Um, you know, it almost, it's, it's not black and white by any means, but it gives you this, like, <laughs> it's so funny you say that because, uh, I, I'm so glad we're getting to talk today because in between the last time we talked and now, um, uh, Adam got to, got to read it, uh, for the first time after it was lettered by Justin and <laughs> he texts me back. Now this is his art, right? This is his art. And my words that we have literally been working on, you know, for like a year and a half. And he goes back and he's like, that is tense and that is dark. And I'm like, that's, yeah, I know. You did it. <laughs> we did it together. It's so funny. Yeah, but, like I like, say, he was, yeah. I mean, he was affected himself. And it just, I think, I think I'm so, so lucky that we got put together because, you know, whatever kind of, whatever darkness I was writing about, like whatever kind of dark places Landon goes as a character and, and you're kind of forced to to make a decision as the reader about like how much of this is happening in this head, how much of this is real, all of it, none of it. Um, uh, you know, how would you handle this? He thinks he's insane one minute. He knows it's real, knows it's real the next. And and that just translated through Adam's art. Um, there, there's there's these pages where I can't help but say it's it's very noirish. But that's even selling it short. There is, I mean, you said the word, there's mood in this book from Adam that just leaves my jaw on the floor. It's, it's beautiful to look at. It's haunting to look at. And um, I think the thing that I was most impressed about was his ability to translate visually ambiguity. I, I can't even imagine how you do that as an artist. 
and he and he did yeah, it. Yeah, he did that he did very it. well. This is just a one-off, right? Yeah, one so like, or... uh, I mean, yeah. even the way it's, oh yeah, even the way it's solicited in previews uh, for February, it's uh, it's like one-shot graphic novel, mature audiences. Um, yeah, so like a one-shot story, uh, pretty self-contained. Um, you know, I wrote that first half, as I said, and then and then Travis kind of said, Let, let's. I, this is how I see it. Can you give me 64 pages? Can you go back and write the second half? And I said, absolutely, uh, uh, you know, with a lot of confidence that I didn't necessarily have, you know, I, I didn't know if I could, but I was not saying no to Travis. And then we went back and it came together the way it did. And the great, I think right. the great part about it was, which was kind of cool, was I knew Adam at that point. And, and you and I talked about this a bit last time, like the ability to have seen his art, see what he could do, and then get this, this, this treat I had was I got to kind of write for him a little bit. Um, and, and maybe, maybe there was a twist, there was a turn, there was a little plot detail that I added just because I knew that Adam was going to crush it. And, and that was like a really kind of cool feeling to to be able to write for an artist. I mean, that first half of that book I was writing, um, for me and I was writing to say something that I felt I really needed to say. Um, cause the inspiration for this book not only comes from, you know, uh, the, the, the hopes and the dreams and the regrets and the, oh my God, time is slipping by and how could I be this old and have I left a mark on anything, which is a very personal thing for me as I know it is for a lot of people. But, you know, you mentioned before that I'm a teacher and I've, I've been doing this gig long enough where I've got all these students, former students, whether they're fourth graders of mine or eighth graders now that are of that age and I'm in contact with a lot of them and they said things to me like I'm 28 and I'm still just working this job and I'm I wanted to go dance I wanted to go act and I let it go and I don't know what to do and it was it was honestly it was what was stewing inside me that that a lot of those words and a lot of that the story comes from but it was a bunch of these young people that were kind of just talking to me about this thing that they were going through. That was, it was, that was the catalyst. That was the thing that spurred me on. That was the thing that actually got the script written. Sometimes you, you don't know where the motivation is going to come from. You know, one day it just shows up. I believe you have a phantom menace oh story. Oh my for God. Me. Well, um, I'm a fan. I grew up with star Wars. <laughs> like what? Billions of people did. And I am of right. that perfect age where I got to experience, to some extent, you know, the first three movies firsthand. I mean, I was born the same year that A New Hope came out. Um, I, I, I was obsessed. Yeah, we were we were discussing before how we were both born. Wait, what, what's your name? Jason, 77? Right. 77. Uh, uh, <laughs> freshman year swimming at my high school. There's only like 25 dudes on the team, six Jasons. That is ridiculous. Um, never before has there been a Jason density as it was like in the late 70s, early 80s. But Do you have any idea how many 30-year-old girls out there named Ariel? <laughs> <laughs> I'm gonna say it's an unusually large percentage. <laughs> By three years old, I'm deeply obsessed with Empire Strikes Back. I'm gonna tell you this story before I get to the second one. Uh, spring, right into summer of 1980, I'm this little kid, and my dad decides um, he's taking me, 
And we ended up going by his count. And I have memories of being in the theater. I have memories of being on the screen. I have memories of some of the people we went with. We went five weekends in a row. And I, in my very small brain, began to memorize it, began to connect to it. It became what we did. And um, the sixth weekend, I am on the front porch. This is a Saturday. My dad's off work from GM. And I'm on the porch playing Matchbox cars. Had this really cool little uh, penguin mobile that I was playing with. I'm sitting in. We didn't have a we didn't have a hose uh, wrap up thing. We just the hose. It was like wrapped in a circle on the ground. I called it my nest. Yeah, I don't think those wrap up. Right. Things I mean, it was existed, old school. It's just, a, it's just a, a, a circular <laughs> thing on the ground. It was my nest. I'm playing Matchbox cars. I'm in there. My dad comes out and says, "Are we going?" And I looked at my Matchbox cars and I looked at him and I said, "No." And he got in his little crappy powder blue Chevrolet and puttered off. And I began to just weep because three-year-old me did not understand, you know, object permanence or whatever. And not only did I think I would never see Empire Strikes Back again, but I thought my dad was gone forever, too. And it was traumatic. (laughs) So I spend like the next year, that next winter, I uh, my job, as I saw it in my head that winter, once the snow hit, was to reenact any and every Hoth scene as realistically as possible as I could. And I ended up getting frostbite on my face because Luke smashes his God. face down into the snow and his, and his face is in the snow until, you know, Han shows up until Obi-Wan shows up. And I would, it did not matter how much it hurt, how much it burned. I would just keep my face in that snow until my buddy, Ryan, the bird man came around the corner and, and said, Luke. And then I had the signal that I could, that I could bring my face up. Um, so like I, I was, what I'm saying to you is I was into it. So it should come as no surprise. You played I hard, played man. hard. <laughs> and it should come as no surprise to you that in college in 1997, when the re-release out, in my dorm room, oh my God, I can't believe I'm about to tell you this. In my dorm room, I had a, a, a two-column double-digit countdown for each of the three movies in my window facing out of the dorm day by day as each one came out on loose-leaf paper, changing it each day, Beautiful. allowing the world to know how excited I was to go see these movies on the big screen again. And thus, it should also come as no surprise that 1999... Uh, AMC Livonia 20 had me and my pal Dougie camped out to be first in line for tickets. And Oh, you were first. Oh, eh? I had to be first. I had to be first. And I did that thing and I camped out and, uh, you know, that's a long haul. So I'm sitting there uh, cutting deals with the kids behind me saying, listen, we want to go see this movie. It's got Tom Selleck and his mustache in it. Can you hold our spot in line? I'll give you five bucks. You know, that kind of thing. Charm him into doing that. We're out there all night. Uh, it's crazy. Get first in line. The Detroit News shows up. Front page of the entertainment section. There I am. You know, young, fresh-faced me in 1999 with like a stack of tickets in my hand, beaming like I had won the lottery. Then, of course, Phantom Menace came out, and it was a slightly different story, but man, did I feel good at the time. 
Hey, I love the prequels. Well, it's, uh, I mean, so we're at this, right, we're at this point now where there's so, there's so much more, right? That, that now you've got the prequels, which are really, it's, it's the middle, right? I mean, it's, it is so far in the past now, and we're talking 21 years ago for, for, for Phantom oh, Menace. Yeah. Like, in perspective, and you tell me, you tell me if I'm off base here, but like, the, the 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 lightsaber battle between the three of them, and the and and the duel of the fates music that John Williams wrote for that scene, those two things, aren't they? Don't they rank almost as high as anything else at this point? Hey, number one duel in all of okay. Star Wars, and okay. I will tell you why. the The duel of the fates was so yes. mean and was so crisp. Yes. And was so, and you're right, that music, fucking unbelievable. It's still unbelievable to the point where they were going to call the last movie Duel right. of the Fates right. at one point, right? So many kids I see that have grown up, like kids of their early 20s, and, you know, Phantom Menace is their fucking stars. I'm going to get I'm gonna get very minutiae on you here. There are two things. I'm going to grab one thing from Phantom Menace and one thing from Rise of Skywalker for you that, that um... No, no, from uh, from uh, Force Awakens for you that I just these tiny little moments that I don't even care what else you say. Man, do I love these little moments. They both have to do with, with lightsaber duels. I can't get into tiny little scenes that I love about about the original trilogy because we'll just end up I'll just end up going through the whole thing. But right, right. in 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 Phantom Menace, in that duel, when Obi-Wan is when when. <laughs> Darth Maul is sitting there and he's doing his meditation or, or uh, no, no, no. Qui-Gon's meditating. But when, when uh, uh, the, the, the juxtaposition of the three of them, he's pacing. Yeah. And when Obi-Wan does that thing, the last, right before the last time they clash, when he does that psyching himself up, when he jumps up and down, when he hops up and down, I, I, yeah, I get yeah, so yeah. fired up for that. And then, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And then in, in um, Force Awakens, I think, oh God, I hope nobody makes fun of me about this, but I think one of the best pieces of just – Clearly, it was probably improvised. Best pieces of just raw emotional acting is after um, uh, when they're out in the snow and Kylo's out there and, and he's got his wound from where he got shot by Chewbacca and he like pounds yeah. it with his fist just to like to, to like yeah, fire yeah, himself yeah. up with pain. Oh, my God, is that good? Yeah. You said you said something earlier that that really kind of uh, uh, is going to stick with me, and I really like how you said it. First of all, you you got rid of the idea of being an apologist, and then you said it didn't matter if it sucked or not. And I think one of the things and I don't want to say it bothers me because I'm not I'm try, I don't try to engage in this kind of thing, but like people who get so angry and get so disappointed, like like on some level, like let it go because guess what, Star Wars is awesome, and. And you got to see more of it. And and even yeah. even when I was sitting there going, I don't think this is very good, I was still enjoying every single second of it because it was more Star Wars and 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 uh, people made it for us, right? And and I couldn't have I couldn't have done a better job.
Yeah, well, we got used to a lot of it, and at this point, you know, we remember it because it's 20 years old. Uh, and Jason, if you'd like to come back sometime and do a full-on Star Wars-centric talk, always welcome to Let's do, do it, that man. as well, because it. I have had a wonderful time, uh, both times chatting with you. Yeah. Uh, unfortunately for the people, they don't get to hear the first conversation. You know, we covered, we covered uh, some but we of did it. Rehash, we, we covered quite but a bit. You know bit. what? Yeah, the rest yeah, of we it, did, we the did rest quite of it, well. that's just for you and me, and they're going to have to deal with that. Yeah, I know. That's our special moment. That's, right. That's for us. That's right. That's for well, the I, I appreciate the time you know. and I appreciate the support. And I really, I really hope people just uh, give Parallel a chance. I mean, it's in previews right now. Uh, you can go out there and you can um, support your local comic shop. I think that's a good thing, right? Support local business, support small business. You can support indie comics. You can support small press comics, right? Which is another worthy cause. And um, the order code is, is ridiculously simple. It's a good year. It's a re- oh wait wait I bet you I even remember oh, I it. it. It's it's F E B E B twenty nineteen eighty three. Let's talk a little Return of the Jedi nineteen eighty three. It's a good year. It's a good order code. Uh, go check out Parallel for me. I hope everybody digs it. Uh, Jason Douglas, so much for hanging Thank out. Thank you. Sir. It was a pleasure and it was an honor. Take it easy.